Amen. Thank you, Dana. Well, good morning. I think I may have messed things up for everybody last weekend. If you were here, I apologize in advance. So last weekend, I was so excited, I talked about Texas winter. And it was cool. We got to wear all our warm clothes. And then this morning, it's hot, humid, back to, uh, back to Texas, uh, Texas December. So uh, if you got all your warm clothes out, hang on. I'm sure that it is coming soon. So, Well, I guess I can give you an official kind of welcome to the holiday season. We are now officially on board. So many of you may be really excited about it. And others of you might feel a little bit of the sense of stress that can come along with what, uh, what the holidays bring. The holidays always bring lots of traditions. And I'm sure that you got to experience some of those even just this past week as you shared in the Thanksgiving celebration. I know one of the traditions in our family is to kind of get the house decorated as we get ready to start the holidays. I took a picture of the outside of my house. Seriously? I thought I would have to tell some of you that actually is not really my house. Um, But clearly I know enough people in the room, they're like, Craig, there's no way that's your house. Uh, No, that's not my house. That's more of maybe an aspirational thought I have around what my house uh, could someday look like when it comes to tradition. Uh, I am a long way from, uh, from there. But just coming off of Thanksgiving, we all get an opportunity to begin to bring back those traditions. You know, I did a, some research on traditions because I was curious about Thanksgiving traditions and what people do, and I found some really unusual ones. And so if this fits into kind of your Thanksgiving experience, um, don't raise your hand if I ask about traditions. But one was, that I thought, this great tradition where all the men who show up to the house, first thing in the morning they step on the scale and they weigh in. And then at the end of the day they have a competition and weigh out on who gained the most weight throughout the day. And then you get some award to carry with you until the following Thanksgiving. If that's you, that's creative. Then one of the other ones, which was, which was one of my favorites, is uh, family eats, group eats round one. I don't know if people deal in rounds with their Thanksgiving meals, but round one. And then they all get together and they go out shopping. And they buy comfy pajamas and funny socks, come back home, put them on, And then they eat round two. I guess there's something about exercise and eating that if you do them together, you can have multiple rounds of of, uh, Thanksgiving meal. Well, we're a little bit more conservative in our family. Our family traditions around Thanksgiving consist of, I call them the three F's, football, our family, and food. Now, I'm a uh, Dallas Cowboys fan. Don't judge me. Right now, we're in church. Remember? Um, but for, look, if you hate the Cowboys, then you enjoyed Thursday watching the game. <laughs> we had an opportunity to be at the game, and, uh, and it was a depressing game. However, it's a common thing our team always plays on Thanksgiving, so we get a chance to kind of share that tradition as a family. And then we went up to Dallas where we got a chance to spend time with my mom. Our family scattered around the country, so this year we were in, uh, up in the great city of Dallas. And then food. Now, if you have some of those unique food things that you only get for holidays. So we have two things in our house that you only get for Thanksgiving and Christmas. One is this really amazing sweet potato casserole that my wife makes. And then the other one is this sausage cheese biscuit that you could eat like dozens of them, which is probably why we only have them around the holidays. 
But if you think about those traditions, traditions very, very powerfully impact what we do. It determines often what we do. And traditions are important because it really helps build this connection from one generation to another. It really helps us identify with a group, a belonging to a family, or just a group of close friends that we have traditions with. Holiday traditions really, really influence how we experience the entire holiday. But if you think about it, if you're a sports fan, there's traditions that you have associated with how you support and or root for your team. Traditions even impact our faith. Oftentimes, traditions influence whether we go to church or even if we go to church. Traditions can oftentimes influence how we pray. And a lot of times, traditional approaches can influence how we experience a church service. I know I grew up in a very traditional type of faith. So the first time I came to a church that had a guitar and drums on stage, I was like, what? Is that okay? Can you have music like that and still worship God? I have since learned that, yes, it is okay. But the traditional approaches, just things that we are used to that have been passed from one generation to another, have a major impact on things that we do. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Why do you do it? I've always done it that way. Well, traditions can powerfully impact how we give, how our heart gives, when and where we do it, and how we do it. You know, personally, I never thought much about giving prior to my relationship with Jesus Christ or about the topic of generosity, especially in the realm of finances. I just never really thought about it. I followed the world's ways. The world said, accumulate as much as you can, spend what you need to to live, and save some. But it was a principle of accumulation of how I really lived my life. But every once in a while when we went to church and I felt that sense of gnawing, I, I, I hate to use the word, but it's true, a little bit of guilt. Then whenever the plate came by, I'd throw a few bucks in there and I'd think, check the box. I'm giving to what God is doing. See, financial generosity it was actually a specific area that I resisted surrendering to Jesus Christ for a number of years. Even after I had surrendered many other areas of my life, that was just one of those that I kind of set aside. And I wasn't ready to surrender. But God did two things in my life that changed the way that I saw the topic. The first one is that he matched me with my wife. And my wife has a very generous, giving heart and spirit. Now, the unintended effects of that are every once in a while, um, the giving spirit like goes to like Macy's or Kohl's or the outlet malls up off of 45, but my wife is ready to give. And when you take that and combine it with the word of God, it creates a powerful heart, a powerful, generous heart that had a major influence on how I saw giving. The other thing God used to impact me powerfully was his word was just what his word said about it. I just didn't know. But it was an area that I didn't want to trust him with. And then I came across Hebrews 11.6. And Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For all who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. See, giving away what I had accumulated... I wasn't comfortable doing it, 
But the question of do you trust me, Craig, with all that you have was a powerful question that I had to, uh, that I had to answer. See, what I realized is that I had a heart issue. Because giving, giving is simply an outflow of a generous heart. It's the expression of a generous heart. And God was working on my heart because I had a heart issue. In Proverbs 4.23, I think we have the verse on the screen, it says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. How we feel about things in our heart will determine what we do, how we behave. What we do is an outflow of the condition of our heart. So the question is, what about you? Do you have a generous heart? You know, the world around us actually supports giving or generosity in several cases. In 2016, the Philanthropy Roundtable released this, uh, released this study that on a per capita basis, meaning per person, look at the United States, that giving has slightly increased over the past 50 years. The only tension in that is society, particularly here in the U.S., is dramatically wealthier than they were 50 years ago. See, this giving area has been a constant tension point. So why the limitation on generosity, do you think? Well, this study actually revealed some great truths about it that I thought were fascinating. One is it says, because I'll boil it down into one sentence, it says people don't see the impact of their volunteer efforts and their charitable contributions in their communities. They don't see the impact. They don't see the results. People want to see more change. They say, look, if I see it, then I'll support it. People want to see what God is doing. And then they're willing to step more eagerly into it. But if you remember what I read in Hebrews 11.6, that's not how God works. Without faith, or said differently, without trusting him, we can't relate with God. God says, you must trust me. We have to go first. So where might you be holding back with God because you don't see the results? Maybe there's an area in your life. I have no idea. Where might he be prompting you to have a more generous and giving heart this holiday season? You know, if you think about the idea we're coming off of Thanksgiving where you had a chance to kind of reflect likely on, hey, what are, what are the blessings that I have? And I believe if you sit in this room, there were blessings that God has provided to you. You could identify them. And we're getting ready to step into one of the most joyful seasons with the Christmas season. So in between thankfulness and joy, what would God have us understand? What would God capture our hearts with? And I believe it's this idea of generosity. God cares so much about our generosity. In fact, he speaks about it. Jesus himself speaks about it in Matthew 25. In verses 14 through 30, that's the parable of the talents. Many of you are probably familiar with the parable of the talents. We're not going to read the entire parable, but there's a couple of important points in this parable. If you recall the story, the master gave money to three people. He gave a little, a small amount to one, and then a little more to another. And then he gave what looks like a lot to another. Here's what I'm giving to you. 
I'll be back to see what you've done with it. And if you know the story, when the master shows up, the one who had a lot, he doubled it. He turned it into more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You did something with what I gave to you. And then the one right in the middle, he doubled his. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm now going to trust you with more. And then the one who had just a little, just a little, he didn't do anything with it. He held on to it. He had accumulated it, but he did nothing with it. And the master said, you are wicked. You did nothing with what I gave you. And he took it away and gave it to the others. You know, the interesting part of this parable, if you read it closely, not one time does Jesus make any differentiation between these amounts. The amount that people were given determined nothing in terms of the master's perspective on how he did. The person who had the most didn't have any favor in the story. The person who had the least had no favor. It was exclusively, what did you do with what I gave you? That's the challenge that every one of us, we're all going to be accountable for it. I don't know where you sit on that table, small, medium, or large, with what you have been given. That's between you and God. But I am 100% sure that each of us, when we step into eternity and face Jesus, he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with it? Did you turn it into more? Or did you hold on to it? And quite frankly, how much we have when we step into eternity, how much we've accumulated won't matter. The question isn't, how much are you sitting on? The question is, what did you do with what I gave you? So do you wrestle with trusting God when it comes to particularly this area of finances? Do you resist giving away what God has given you? Let's start with a fundamental truth in the Bible, because I think this is really important to understand on this topic. And then we're going to take a look at uh, a letter that Paul wrote specifically on principles of giving. But the fundamental truth is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, listen to what the apostle writes. He says, for what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it's not a gift. That's out of the New Living Translation. I, another translation that I really like says, who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? The Bible teaches that 100% of what we have is from God. That's the truth of the Bible. And so given that principle that if everything we have is given and everything is from God, for God to ask us to have a generous heart and give, I think is okay. There's giving principles that we find throughout the scripture, and I think the Apostle Paul really nails it in 2 Corinthians. And it's us, this idea of how do you activate a generous heart? Like, how if you're like me, 
then maybe at a point in time, and I don't know where you are on the scale of generosity, but there's a point in time as you consider what God has given you that you say, Lord, I want to do more. I want to be more committed and trust you more with what I have. Well, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes about this topic. In fact, the topic of giving is so important, he dedicates two chapters to it, two full chapters in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. They are all about giving. Now, in these chapters, he's writing to the church in Corinth, thus 2 Corinthians. He points out, look, he's pointing out the fact that other churches have given extremely boldly. And in a lot of cases, he references the fact that other churches beg the apostles, let us give to you and to the work that you're doing. He's writing this to encourage the church in Corinth right before they're going to take a big collection. He goes on to remind them that they have yet to finish their offering. And so his encouragement is, now it's time to do what you've committed to. Now, in the case of the church of Corinth, at least as it's recorded in the story, and if you look at the history at this time, they had a lot. They were a fairly wealthy church. They were in a really, really good position. And they had an opportunity, actually, to help the church in Jerusalem, who was struggling a little bit. They needed help. These chapters, this chapter was about encouragement, but affirming them in what they're doing. And then ultimately, Paul gives them this challenge to give big. He doesn't say give big. That's my paraphrase. But give big. The opportunity was for the church to help another church and do an amazing work. Now, specifically, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Inside of these verses are three principles for giving that Paul challenges the church and I believe is a challenge for any church when it comes to this topic. So in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, really the first principle is this idea of give boldly. Give boldly. Paul writes this. He says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. See, this concept of reaping and sowing, it's really a law, a natural law of the land. You get what you put in. It's a great biblical concept, particularly at the time, because if you remember, the society was an agrarian society, meaning they lived off the land. And so this type of concept communicated the importance of you reap what you sow, what you put in, you get out. But truthfully, that concept is alive today. I mean, you think about finances and economics, it takes money to make money. The more you put in, the more you can get out. That principle is alive and well today, particularly with generosity. See, Paul restates this principle, and he challenges them to give boldly. You will reap what you sow. He says, sow boldly, and you will reap. I think Jesus even reframed this a little bit on how to think about it. And you remember this story in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. Verses aren't going to come up on the screen, but this is when Jesus is observing a collection. And he observes people put in money. And he observes this widow who just puts in two coins. Relative to everybody else, it was so much less. But Jesus says, you see her? She gave more than all of them because she gave out of what she didn't have. She was willing to trust the Lord to give out of what she didn't have, which allows God to illustrate his provision for her. 
It's a powerful, powerful lesson. You know, when we first made a decision to, I'll call it give beyond our comfort zone, uh, we really didn't have much to give. Uh, In fact, at the time, I was operating a small business, and it wasn't doing very well. Um, And so some months I got paid, and some months I didn't get paid. In fact, it was during that time that I ended up taking over the finances in our family because my wife, was I was driving her crazy. She didn't know if I was going to get a paycheck one month or not. And as many of you are probably familiar with, the mortgage company and the utility bills don't kind of skip a month if you didn't get paid. If they did, that'd be neat, uh, but it doesn't work like that. For anybody not out on their own yet, I hope I just have encouraged you right now. Uh, it doesn't work like that. If you don't have money, they don't go, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. But during that time, we were so convicted by several messages we had, uh, we had heard in church and what we found in the pages of the Bible in regards to generosity and giving. So we weren't sure where to start. We just felt like it was time to start. We started with the concept of the tithe. We didn't know where else to go, so we said, okay, we'll go there. I think that's the barrier of entry for what God would have us do. Now, I don't have one of those cool stories where every time we gave money away that we got this magic check in our mailbox to replace the same money. I wish I did. I wish God would have done that because that would have been a really cool story to share with people. Every time we gave it away, we got it back. It was amazing. We didn't have that story. My story only is that it worked. I don't know how it worked. I can only trust the Lord that when we made that decision that he provided for us. And since that time, God's brought us tremendous opportunities to take what he's given and allow us to move it through someplace else. We've constantly, though, had to trust God in it because in so many cases, we had no idea what would happen. And in fact, in a lot of cases, we're not even sure how God used it. But what you know as you read the pages of the Bible is that God's only asking for us to say yes to the opportunity. He's going to handle the outcome of what happens. That was extraordinarily freeing to us. I don't know if this is ever, you've ever had this experience. I'm going to go off script for a minute in case they're following me upstairs. But... I remember when I would encounter somebody on the, uh, this is kind of a cliche situation, but I'd encounter somebody on the street and they'd want money. And I'd think to myself, man, they're just going to go do this or go do that. And I'd start to run in my head what they were going to do with it. And I remember one day God's like, Craig, who are you? Who are you to think that you know what's going to happen? Who are you to make a decision on who that person is. That's my child. I'll handle that. Change the way that I saw that situation. The Bible calls us to give boldly because we serve a big and bold God. The next principle is this idea of giving cheerfully. Giving cheerfully. In verses 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul, he gets right at the heart of this issue, literally the heart. How do you feel about it? And he challenges us In verse 7 and 8, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide what you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left 
over to share with others. He points out, look, he goes on to point out that God is the one who provides. God is the one who has all the resources. Have you ever had anyone do anything for you reluctantly or with great hesitation? Now, if you're a parent in the room, you might be sitting next to your child and elbowing them. This is the part where you have to listen. Joyfully clean your room. Not the context of the verses here, so you guys are safe. See, this approach can oftentimes, when we do it with a sad heart or a reluctant heart, it can devalue what's happening. It can impact the relationship. Here's a truth that we really have to understand. God does not need our money, our time, or any of our resources. He's God. He has access to an abundance, an unlimited amount of all of them. So you'll say, well, then why does God want my stuff? It's because he wants us to have the opportunity to be part of what he's doing, to see the power of not only the generosity and the effect it can have on people, but God says, I'll provide for you. Give me a chance. I will show you how powerfully I can provide to you. See, giving cheerfully just pleases God. The third principle is this one. It's this idea of just giving directly. Giving directly. See, our generosity or giving, this outward expression, is giving directly to the church, the body of believers, what the work that God is doing. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Corinth in verses 12 through 14. He says, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. See, God uses generous hearts in his people to provide for his people. Paul highlights two things here. One is needs of the church are met. And most importantly, the church thanks God. God's people thank him for the provision. It points the spotlight directly to where it should go, which is to the provider, to God himself. He uses his people to provide for his people. Here at the harbor, we want to provide opportunities for people to give to the ministry. We certainly do it through our regular offering, but I think it's important to highlight that the harbor looks to God for the provision. We just, those who call this home, get a chance to be part of what God is doing. But there are other opportunities that come along periodically to support more of what God is doing. I want to show you a video of one of those opportunities now. December 10th, there'll be a compassion offering. And our compassion offering is designed to support so many ministries that affect the changed lives of people. 
You know, as a church, and I, this is a common experience, I think, in many churches in communities like ours, which is we're powerful supporters of causal opportunities, big things that happen, and we need people to support them. But there's a lot of small things that happen that change the lives of people. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, this service, as we get to the end of the service, we're going to take up a special collection because we're talking about generosity and giving. We're not. We're not. This message is not about, let me open up my wallet now and give because of the experience and the message of God. No, my hope is to plant seeds of generosity that last way beyond a Sunday service. But there will be opportunities for generosity that God gives to us to support what he's doing. Now, I do think it's important to acknowledge the fact that this year in particular, right now at this time, you might be feeling as though you've given more than ever. We saw an enormous pouring out of resources as a result of Hurricane Harvey. Money, time, homes, you name it, people invested. In fact, you might feel a little bit leaner than ever on your resources as a result of what has happened in our community. You might be weary that this constant call for some generosity in and around you has given to you. But here's the truth. If you feel depleted and tired, and even a bit like, I don't know that I have much more to give to you, Lord, then I want you to know that Jesus is smiling on you today. I want you to know that. In Philippians, Paul reminds us of this powerful truth, that Jesus emptied himself for us. He emptied himself by becoming a man and dying on the cross and conquering death that we might have a relationship with God. So if you feel this sense of emptiness and a little bit of fatigue because of what you've been giving to others, then you are living the Christian life. Then you are living the life that God calls us to. When we give ourselves for the sakes of people, of God's people, it has a powerful impact. You know, I want to finish with this last verse in this, in verse, uh, in 2 Corinthians, in verse 15. Because this truth is so important. And in 9.15, he says, thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Other translations say, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. In fact, this indescribable gift that Paul uses here in verse 15, it's the only time in all of the New Testament that this terminology is used. It's not used any other time throughout the New Testament. I know for myself, when I find something like that, I sit up straight and I better pay attention. What is he saying in here? But it describes the real gift, the ministry of Jesus, Jesus Christ himself, and what the church is doing. He gave up heaven for us that we might have eternal life. See, a heart of generosity says to Jesus, I believe who you are. And I'm willing to surrender all that I have, Lord. Take what you want and use it as you wish. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that's your prayer. Now, I also know that you might be here today, and maybe you haven't made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. In fact, if that's you, then this message might be scaring you a little bit. Wait a second. Jesus wants my money? He wants me to surrender my resources and my stuff? That scares me a little bit. 
Well, if that's you, remember, he doesn't need it. He gives us the opportunity to share it because he has an abundance of it. It allows us to be part of the powerful work that he's doing. So here's my challenge to you and to me and to all of us. So if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, make that decision today. In just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to wrap this up. And if you simply confess your sin and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you say, I will surrender to you, you can have the eternal life that our Father offers to us. For those of you who have surrendered your life, you made a decision to follow Jesus. And maybe you're a little bit like me. Maybe this area is something you've been holding on to. I don't know that it's you other than if you heard a message on generosity and giving and you're like, ugh, that might be you. God typically will rub us in the areas that we haven't let go of yet. But if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then commit today to being generous, to giving. And the challenge is give more than you're comfortable somewhere between now and Christmas. Give somewhere that you're, it's uncomfortable. You think, I can't do that. And remember the one who provides for us. Make an uncomfortable donation of your resources to God's kingdom to what God is doing, and watch how powerfully he can use it. You know, I don't think there's a remote chance that any one of us are going to step into heaven and Jesus says, man, I could barely keep up with you. You were giving so much, and I know I said the more you gave, you reap what you sow, you you really stretched me And I could barely stay with you on your generosity. I just don't think that he's going to say that. But I do think that there's a chance that when we step into heaven, that we'll see the opportunities that we may have missed. That we'll feel a sense of disappointment. Maybe even a sense of loss. that we were this person and we didn't do anything with what he gave us. My prayer is that that is none of us in this room. Spend this holiday season trying to outgive God and see what happens. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm so freshly reminded of your generosity as I consider the cross of Jesus Christ, Lord, and knowing that everything we have is from you, Father, I ask that you would just convict each of us in the room. Where are we holding ourselves to limits? What are we burying, Lord, that you have prepared to use mightily for your work? And Father, I pray that the spirit of generosity that came from you flows through us, Lord, and that you would use this church, this people, 
to accomplish the work that you have prepared, prepared for us. We love you, Jesus, and we lift this up in your holy and precious name. Amen.